thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's, that's what we want to say at the beginning. Thank you so much for the sabbatical gift. And we remember and are aware what a great gift it is when the church frees us to go and be attentive to the voice of the Lord. And when the church frees us to remember and to return to what is most important. So thank you. We received and are receiving and we are, we are um, not unaware what a great gift it is for you all to free us. And so thank you so much for that space. Um, the time, I think I said this at the front end, but it wasn't primarily about rest. I was like gearing up to go. Right? I didn't leave exhausted or burnt out. Um, in fact, it's, it's hard to pause when everything in me wants to run forward. But there's a discipline of spiritual formation and a discipline we're called to as pastors and leaders and all of us, disciplines of Sabbath and sabbatical. Because there are things that we can only learn when we step away. And I, I was beginning to learn that myself. There's, I quickly saw there, there were things about my own heart that I could only see and only learn when I stepped out of the routine and away from regular demands of pastoral ministry. So today, the, the purpose, the primary goal is not to just tell stories and testimony. Though I've done that in various places. I'd love to do that one-on-one -on -one or in small groups with you all. And, and some of that will come into this sermon. But my purpose, as always, if I stand here, is to declare the goodness of God and to testify about his mercy and his love through his scripture. And so that's what we're going to do together. And there is a passage I couldn't move beyond, you see it on the screen, throughout the 10 weeks. And it was from Ephesians 3, this prayer at the end of Ephesians 3 that Paul has for the church. And I, I it was overflowing with weight and beauty, and the Lord had something for me directly in it, but also, I believe, for us. It's what Paul prays for the church. And so as I memorized this passage and meditated on it, I, I received from the Lord for hours and hours and hours, and then toward the end realized, oh, this is actually not just for me. This is for us, as Paul writes this, as the Spirit inspires this passage. It's for the church, and not just us, but the church throughout all generations. And so, uh, please open there, if you would, if you have Bible or on an app, Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 14. And I know Scott preached on this at the end of May, if you were there, our brother from E4 in Earliesville. Um, and so, I hope not to be repetitive, but to join, to join uh, and with him and, and with us as we mine the depths of this passage. Because I honestly wouldn't be able to bring sabbatical reflections with integrity, sincerity, apart from this passage. And so if you're able, as I read the word, if you would stand, please. Paul has just gone throughout Ephesians chapter 3, talking about the wonder of the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that he has done. And then in verse 14, he turns to prayer and he says, for this reason, for the gospel, for the confidence I have in him, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell there through faith. 
And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power or the ability, may have the ability, together with all the Lord's people, with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, which is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lord, help us as we turn our attention to this word. Lord, because we know that it is a, a work of your spirit to understand and to obey, to love you. That is a gift of your spirit. And so help us. Help me as I declare it to do so clearly. But help us, Jesus, to honor you in our, in our understanding and our following of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I, I probably couldn't get you to pay too much for a bottle of water. A dollar, maybe two dollars. Why? Because in our situation, bottle of water, come and go, right? You can go back to the fridge, you can get one, you can take your mug and go out into the water fountain that Weston so beautifully put together for us a year ago. You can fill that water bottle till it's overflowing and not think anything of it till your heart's content. But so water is freely available for us. But what if that wasn't the case? What if we not only didn't have plumbing access, but lived in a drought-parched area, arid, deserty? What would you do for water? How much would you pay for water? How hard would you work for water? To what lengths would you go for water? You wouldn't pay a dollar, maybe, maybe two, if you're at a convenience store, right, for a bottle of water now, but you, you, there would be no end to the amount of money you'd be willing to pay for a tall glass of water if you were that thirsty. We would do anything it took, just as people through the ages have had to do, just as people right now in the world have to do to go to great lengths to have access to fresh water. But here's the thing. What would you do for water? It's, here's the thing. Even in the most parched areas of the world, water is often available. The problem is getting there, right? Because it's beneath your feet. It's there across the world. I've been looking at these geological maps. It's there. Sometimes it's only 10 feet down, 20 feet down, and, and abundant. Sometimes you have to drill down really deep, but the groundwater is there. It's beneath our feet. And even for a, a simple well, you have to go down hundreds, even thousands of feet with large machinery to access groundwater. It's hard work and sometimes even impossible without the right equipment. But is it worth it? It's a no-brainer, right? What would you do for water? Is it worth it to access the water? I mean, the good well unlocks uh, water for, for potentially for generations, that hydration and sanitation and, and health and refreshment, is it worth it? 
It's the difference between life and death, is it not? Okay, so why am I talking about groundwater and wells? And In what I read, and maybe you've already made the connection, Paul is praying, and the Spirit of God is, is calling us to pray for access to the water of life. The Spirit of God is asking us to pray for access to the water of life. And I'm hoping that this well metaphor, this groundwater metaphor, will help us to to understand how this water is accessed and enable us to draw water to our actual lips so that we might drink. There's living water, the Father's water, available to you. Even in the most desert region, it is deep but abounding. This water of life, it's the refreshing, what is it? It's the refreshing, life-giving presence of God. It's the love of God poured out in your life by the Holy Spirit. And there is access to the water of life for you. I want you to know, I, in, in the sabbatical you provided for us, I believe the Lord enabled me to draw water from deep places and to learn how to draw water up and drink in new ways. And the scripture declares it's available for you as well. It's available for all of us. And here's the thing, just like the groundwater, even if you can't see it, right? Even if you can't see it, you look out over your life and you see desert, you see dryness, you see just brittle ground, but there is water available to you by the gift of God, even if you can't see it. There's a fullness, there's an overflowing that can never run dry. God desires for us, as the prayer says, to be filled to the measure, to be filled with the fullness of God. And that's the heart of the prayer. And that's what I want to unpack for us. You could summarize the whole prayer with this statement, may the Father give us the ability to be filled with him. That's the prayer. Father, give us the ability to be filled by you. Father, give us the ability to be filled by you. And everything else in this prayer, and there's a lot there. There's a lot. The the presence of God, the power of God, the love of God, which is abounding. Everything else is tied to this central idea that we might be filled to the and with the fullness of God, as verse 19 says. Because he he not only makes the way, he is the water. As we know, he is the water. We ask God for so many things. Do we ask this? Is this a regular part of how we draw near to God and what we say with, in our hearts and with our words to the Lord. Lord, fill me. Lord, may I know you. May, may your fullness, may your love be abounding in my life. Is that the, at the center? We often spend our time asking about concerns and what we lack. And the Father tells us to ask for these things. It's not bad. Cast your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. But is this at the center? Father, may I know you. Father, may I be filled with you. Let me know you in your love. Is this at the center of your prayer to the Father? 
what does that even mean? <laughs> it sounds a little ethereal. It sounds a little, is that a too overly spiritual, Jeff? What, I mean, I, I know it can sound just kind of out there, the fullness of God. Okay, how am I supposed to be filled with the fullness of God? That just sounds like Christianese or whatnot. But I, I hope to show in some small way how, how very practical this is, how very transformative this is to our lives because when God is present in us, we do not remain the same. We are changed. Life begins to look differently. Life begins to work differently because when God draws near, we are changed. And so may we have an enlivened desire, in, even in some small way, for Christ to dwell within us and all that that means. And if you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, you have begun that process but let me encourage all of us, we're not finished with that process. When does it end? When does it stop? When have we arrived? We're not done. We never leave it. We never outgrow attaining, as he says in chapter 4, to the fullness of Christ. And I'm convinced that even in eternity, we never outgrow being filled and learning and growing in the fullness of who God is. So wherever you are in the process, may your heart be enlivened and regenerated to draw near to God and be filled with his love. This prayer aims at our hearts. So this sermon aims at our hearts. So before I move on, what is the state of your heart? And you can answer this from week to week to month to month, to season to season differently. But right now, what is the state of your heart? Even as Tom opened us with some questions of our heart about weariness and rest. What is the state of your heart? Is it cold? Is it heavy? Is it distracted? Is it stormy? Is it content? Is it seeking? Is it expectant? Is it aimless? I'm sure it's a merge of a number of things, but where is your heart? Do you know how to answer that question? What picture may capture the state of your heart? Sometimes we have to silence the noise to even begin to have an answer to this question. To even begin to get there in our own souls, we have, to, we have to put down the phone. We have to step away from the desk. We have to take a Sabbath. We have to take a few days or longer if possible. We have to step away and listen to even begin to answer that question. Over sabbatical, one of the lessons the Lord was teaching me was how he wants to use failure, loss, and grief in my life to reveal his love. My tendency is to run or to avoid failure, loss, and grief. And how, and I was learning just how my heart has, uh, when possible, just avoided going to those places or worked hard to run the other direction or worked hard to undo failure, loss, or grief. And I'll come back to this in a few moments, but through his spirit, and in the space, and I realize that's a generous gift of space, but God gave me grace to linger there 
and failure, loss, and grief. And to find God there, right? To find God when I was lingering in the scary places. And so my prayer is today, wherever you find your heart, if you're able to even begin to put a finger on it today, may it swell with new desire for the fullness of God's presence to meet you there. So the invitation is for the water of life to spring up within each of us. The invitation is for God's life and his benefits to abound. The invitation is if your heart is distracted, may you be able to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author of life. If your heart is cold, may you know the warmth of God drawing near to you. If your heart is bound, may you know the free, uh, the, the freeing grace of God to break chains. If your heart is spinning, may, may you be redirected to fix your gaze. Wherever your heart is, the invitation is, come to my water, come to the well, and drink. As Paul prays, may the Father give us the ability to be filled with him. Okay, so how does this work? How does this work? Let's look more closely at the passage. Using this well metaphor, if it, if it works for you, but if it doesn't, sorry, this is where we're going. How does this work? Um, where, you have to know where to dig, <laughs> in a sense. You have to, there are places around the globe where, globe where the groundwater is pretty shallow and places where it's much deeper and, and areas of scarcity. But if you want water, it makes a difference how and where you dig. You have to know where to begin. What a waste to go digging with a shovel when you need a drill that goes 500 meters. What, what a waste to pour out your energy if you're digging in the wrong place or in the wrong way. You have to know where to begin. And so where do we find this fullness, this water of life? What's its source? We sang this if we were paying attention. What is the source? Ephesians 3 makes it clear. This divine fullness, it comes only from the Father. Only the Father. He and he alone is the source of living water. It's why Paul bows his knee and he prays before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth. Did you catch a Families in heaven? That's another sermon maybe. But like all things derive from the Father. He is the source of all life. And so as we seek to be changed, as we seek to be filled and not empty, let's make sure we recognize and we begin here before the Father, not elsewhere. Our knees to the Father. Where else? And who else has power to satisfy? Who else has living water? Verse 15 reminds us all life comes from him. And 16, it says, he is the one of glorious riches. I pray to the Father that out of his glorious riches, literally that's the abundance of glory. That's how he's going to answer this prayer. Out of the abundance of glory, the prayer is, Father, strengthen us. Out of the abundance. What does that mean? He's got glory to spare. He has, he has all that you need in spades. He can give generously. He doesn't run out. He doesn't operate out of scarcity. He is a, 
the riches of his glory, out of the riches of who he is, he answers this prayer. The abundance of glory. He gives, the Father always gives from his overflow. He doesn't empty himself to give to us. Jesus, yes, the cross, I'll get there. But the Father, he, he gives out of his overflow. He gives out of his overflow. And so it's in this context that it says, out of the riches of his glory, May he strengthen us. May the Father strengthen us. And so when we turn to God and we pray for ourselves and we pray for the church, Lord, fill us, we're asking for something that God is not only able to give, but he delights to give. It's why he created. He delights to give out of his overflow. And so when you say, Father, fill me. Father, here I am. Will you fill me? Of course I'll fill you. It's like asking... God, can I have a grain of sand? God, can I have a, a, a blade of grass? God, can I take my hands in the ocean, you know, and, and be refreshed? Can, can I have just a, a small amount? The Father is the source. He's where we begin. He's where we remain. He's where the living water comes from. Right? And he's there. He's there, even if you can't see him. So he's enough but how do we get that water? Where does it come from? How does it come from the Father to us? And that's the question of access. And in, in the most simple form, getting their groundwater, and forgive me, Paul and others who know what they're doing and digging a well. <laughs> I even had a picture. I said, no, I'm not even going to go there. Like, in the most simple form, you need to get down to the water. You need a drill, shovel. You need a pipe, a casing and a pipe to bring that water up, and a pump somehow, hand pump, electric, some, a pump to draw it forth to the surface, right? The most simple form. You need to get there, have a pipe, and draw it back. And I think we see that type of action loosely here in the prayer. Like, what is the tool that digs down and enables us to have access to the Father's life in the first place? What is the drill? What is the drill? It's not you shoveling, right? So often we think, okay, i got to get out there and work and work and work. That's not the answer. Verse 16, look again. I pray that he may strengthen you. How? How does he strengthen us? With his power, through his spirit, in your inner being. The spirit living in us. God's spirit living in us. He, is the, he creates the access. We can't get there on our own. A strengthened soul is a sign that God's at work, that the Spirit of God is at work, that God is filling. The Spirit of God is the only one that makes this possible. And so once the well is drilled and reaches the water, what do you need then? You need a pipe of some kind that acts as a conduit between the groundwater and the drinking. And what is that point of access? What brings the Father's substance to us? What's the pipe? The question is who? The question is who? Colossians 2.9 says, In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. In verse 17, that's why we see we're strengthened with power through His Spirit so that, what? Christ may live in our hearts through faith. The Spirit has made it possible, and then the, 
the filling of the pipe that Christ lives in us. The water of God, the, the life of God, the presence of God. Christ himself lives in us. Jesus said it in another way in John 14. By the Spirit you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Christ lives in us. And so strengthened by his presence in us, how does the water move up the pipe? We have to have a pump of some kind, right? How does God's abundance, how does God's life actually come into our lives? How do we move to the place of being where we can actually drink? The pump here, this is the experience of God's love through faith. The experience of God's love. It's what happens when the Father from his abundance pours his spirit into our inner being so that Christ is there. And then what happens? We begin to understand God's love for us. We start there and you never leave that place of understanding God's love for you. Paul is praying, I pray that you may be filled with God. He's praying, I, may, I pray that you may understand God's love for you. We begin to understand that we are rooted there. We are established in love. We are planted deeply in love. It's a firm and safe place. It's, it's, we begin to taste and enjoy the delight of God. It's the experience of God's love. And so now we come to the part of the prayer that is soaring, these heart-level parts of the prayer. When we ask to be filled to God with God, you probably caught on, you're asking to grasp or understand something that is beyond grasping. How wide and long, I mean, the, the height and depth and width and length of the love of God. It's beyond what we can grasp, and yet he says, may we grasp. May we know what is surpassing knowledge. This is soaring language that has to do with your experience of God's love by the gift of Christ living in you. And it's something that we never move past, as I said. We continually draw back to who God is because God's love is wider and longer and deeper than any of us can fathom, is it not? And you are invited in. We are invited in. And in that invitation, come in, we come to the whole point of this process because in a functioning well, all these tools are happening simultaneously. Why? So that we can drink. So that we can drink and be refreshed because water is for drinking. Verse 19 says that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And, and here is where we act, we're actually being changed. Just as real water is for nourishing and hydration and cleansing and growing, so also God's presence in our lives. So you, you can know that you're drawing near to the love of God when you're being changed. As we're filled with God, we're formed, we're made new, we're changed. This water, this living water is for drinking. As I mentioned, the Lord had lessons for me about grief and loss and failure. And as I drew near to God's love, um, I'm learning 
and continuing to learn that what's the gospel response to my avoidance of failure? What is the gospel response? And one, one response from this prayer is knowing my identity in Christ. Union with God. Union with God. And what has this prayer shown us about, un- about identity? It's everything about identity. Who are you? Where are you? Who are we? By faith, we are made one with Christ. He's living in us. We are rooted, deeply planted, founded, established in love. Who are you? You're rooted and established in love. You can't get beyond that. Who are you? Being filled with God's fullness to express in love allows me, as I was walking through, to receive and accept and learn from failure and even redefine it in God's terms instead of the world's terms and to begin that process. It be, knowing who I am in Christ, knowing union with Christ, uh, begins to free me from anxiety related to failure or anxiousness or activity related to even potential failure, small or big. Drinking the water of life changes us. It changes us. And learning to experience fullness changes us. But you have to drink. You have to bring the water to your lips. That's the whole point of what God has done, that you might be filled with the fullness of God both now and forever through all generations. Amen, it says. But living water is for drinking. And so the question I have is, do you know how to drink from his well? Do you know how to drink? It's not convoluted, it's not complicated, but it's going to entail a battle, right? A battle for our soul, a battle for our attention, a battle for our devotion. It's a lifelong process, but it's a process the Lord invites us into. Learn, learn again, learn anew, learn from an even deeper place how to drink from this water that I'm offering to you. So let me suggest here what's on the screen, just Something simple to help along the way. One way, not the only way, one way that we learn to drink from from the fullness of God, that we learn to begin to experience God's love. It's a way that I've found effective for drinking the water of life. Worship. Linger there as long as he keeps you there. Magnify his name. Tom's going to start a series next week on magnify. Learn to magnify his name. Then meditate on God's word. A passage he's drawn you to. Ask for suggestions. Meditate deeply on God's word. Let let the word of God fill you. And then be silent and listen. Worship, meditate, and be silent. And in that process, you're receiving and you're responding, and then repeat. (laughs) Worship, meditate, and be silent, and then repeat. 
Because as we are filled with the fullness of God, he will, he will begin applying his love to your life. And I can't say specifically how he wants to bring his love into your life in this season where your heart is. Maybe it's a peace that passes understanding. You, you're just toiling every which way and you don't have peace. Maybe God wants to bring a peace that passes understanding. Maybe, maybe you'll see the fear of man shrink away and courage rise up. Maybe you'll see the fear of death shrivel. Even as you get closer to death, you'll see the fear of death shrivel because you know that you know that you know the love of God poured into your life. How does he want to fill you? What, what might he want to do and speak personally to you with his love? Maybe, maybe you'll receive healing from childhood trauma and, or even begin that process. Maybe you'll, you'll be more known for joy and gratitude. That person was always complaining and ornery, and now they're grateful and joyful. What has happened? I don't know, but I've been filled with the fullness of God. I'm beginning to learn about that. What I do know is that as we drink from the water of life, God wants to change us for our good. For good. For good. And as we close, and I know we're a little long, there's another reason, and I want to finish the prayer briefly. Why else do we have access? He wants to change us and minister deeply to us. Why else do we have access? There's something else you can do with water. You can not only bring it to your lips, but you can give it away. There's a reason that this church had invested thousands of dollars in drilling well in Kenya for our brothers and sisters. There's a reason why we help our Haitian brothers and sisters uh, have access to clean water because not only is the church blessed, but the community is blessed as they drink real water. Verse 20 says at the end of the prayer, as we're filled with the fullness through his power at work, what does the Father do? He does, and he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. He does, the Father does, immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine through his power at work within us. That's why it's glory to the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations. It's the Father's work within us as we drink from the love of God. The Father does. There is work to be done. Right? It's not all about being and relishing and soaking, and that's wonderful. And there is work to be done. The work flows from the place of being. And it's the Father's work. And so let's pray for vibrancy and for flourishing in our midst that we would be filled so that the Father might work for his glory in our community. I realize this passage could be a whole series. I, realize, I debated it, actually. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. But let's simply remember now, there is water available. There is water. And it's, it's not far away. It's right there. It's available for you. It's right beneath your feet. And God has made a way, 
right? God has made a way. The water of life, you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to work for it. Put away the shovel. God has made a way. He says, come, buy without money. All you who are thirsty, come buy and drink. Christ has paid it all. Christ has done the work. There's a fullness that strengthens and transforms us. And so may we, as Paul prays, and let us pray it for ourselves, may we be filled with the fullness of God. Lord, this is my prayer, and you started it in my heart, and I, but Lord, we pray it for all of us. We pray it for this church. We pray it for all those who confess Christ in this city, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Because it's that you will flow into us, you will transform us, you will change us. We believe that. We have tasted of that. And Lord, we ask you to continue that work by your grace. Because we want you to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine among us and through us. For your glory, for all generations. That's our desire. Lord, so may we be filled to the measure of the fullness of God by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God be glory. We come to this table remembering what I've, I've just said, that Christ